Hi there and welcome to Global Heart Church. Uh, I'm Jared Keane, a senior pastor, and wherever you are tuning in from around the world today, really, really hope and pray that in our planning of this message that it's going to really inspire you for the great journey that you are on and uh, for the great calling that you have in your own life. So enjoy the message and really pray that it's a blessing to you today. So good. You can take your seats, everybody. Who's sitting next to someone extra nice today? Come on, that's good. Good to hear. Hey, it's uh, so good to have you in church today. And uh, I'm very privileged to be uh, preaching this morning. Uh, ordinarily, our senior pastor, Pastor Jared, uh, who's my dad, would be preaching. Uh, however, he is away this weekend speaking for Calvary Church in the Gold Coast. And Calvary Church is a great church who have locations all over Queensland. And uh, they are currently sponsoring 600 children with Compassion. Um, and if you're not aware of who Compassion are, they're an organisation that facilitate child sponsorship, where you can sponsor a child and that pays for their healthcare, their education and their food and connects them with a local church. And so as a church here, we are very passionate about the work of of Compassion and we actually sponsor 1,300 children as a church. And so Calvary Church in Queensland, they are sponsoring 600 and would love to break through to 1,000. And so they asked uh, Pastor Jerry, would he go and encourage them and stir their faith? So he's there today doing that. So let's keep him in our prayers as he does that. And also speaking of Pastor Jared, this week he is having a significant birthday. Um, I'm not at liberty to tell you how significant it is, but it's pretty up there. And so, <laughs> we next weekend after all of our services, we're actually going to take a bit of time just to celebrate him and uh, just celebrate who he is and his birthday. And so after all our services next weekend out here, we're going to have a bit of food and some cake and just celebrate Pastor Jared's birthday. If he does ask you, just remind him, Jordan did not say the age, he just said it's significant. So um, that'd be good. But hey, let me pray for you. We're just going to get into the Word of God together. And I feel like I've got a a word for us today, uh, which I hope blesses you. So let's just pray and let's invite God to speak to us. Father, we thank you so much for this time. And Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in church today. And we just know, God, that when we make time to hear from you, that you speak. And so, God, we just pray for all of us today. Help us to have soft hearts and open hearts. And I just pray, God, that you would say what you want to say to us, Father, and that we would all leave today, God, encouraged, stirred, and more passionate for you than when we got here. And we just thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our hearts and our lives and in our church. In Jesus' name. And the ninth throw said, thank you, ninth throw. Awesome. Hey, we're going to read some scripture. It's going to come up on the screen to read as well. And it is in Colossians chapter three. And it says this, since then you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Love that in verse two, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And then Philippians chapter four is gonna come up on the screen as well. It says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Verse 8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Amen. Well, everybody, the message of the Bible is absolutely for the next life, but it is also absolutely for this life and for this side of eternity. Um, Our time in this life will end, but we will live on for eternity. And God has prepared a place for you and has made a way for you to spend eternity with Him in heaven. And now the Bible is also for this life, that on this side of eternity, God has a great purpose for your life. You're not simply just here to exist and pass through. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. It is a good plan. It is a plan that is going to help others. It's going to impact others around you. It's going to give God glory. And it's ultimately what is best for us. God has great things for you to to see, great things for you to do. God has good things for you to enjoy. I was reminded of this recently. I visited the Southwest and I was reminded God's got many good things for me to enjoy. (laughs) And most importantly, God has many people for you to serve and people for you to help and to reach. And much of the adventure of life is discovering who those people are, what we do and where we do it. Now that all sounds pretty exciting. God's got an eternity awaiting for me. He's got a purpose this side of heaven. But it it sounds all pretty simple. But as you know, life's not that simple. Life can be complex. Stuff happens. And this really boils down to you and I, everybody on the planet being broken. The, The Bible teaches that there is something fundamentally within our hearts as human beings that is not right. It doesn't work. But the good thing is, is that even though we as humanity are broken, God is not. God is holy, He's all put together, He is perfect, He is endless, He's everywhere at once, every when at once, and He's also good and loving. And God in His love seeks to equip us, empower us and help us for this life. He has a way, the right way that is intended for you and I to live. And through His Word and through passages like I just read, He helps us live the life He intended for us today. Now, passages like the ones I read um, are incredibly helpful and relevant uh, because we tend to do a pretty good job of dwelling on and focusing on the negative. Uh, The Scripture there was encouraging us to set our mind, our thinking on things above, not on earthly things. And then the Scripture encouraging us that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, praiseworthy, excellent, think about those things. However, if you take those Scriptures and you do the antonyms for all the words, you just flip it on its head, I find it does a pretty good job of describing often my thinking. So it would be like this, whatever is temporal, whatever's material, whatever's broken, whatever's stressful, whatever's scandalous, whatever's blameworthy, think about these things. I find that's me. 
I do the antonyms, and, and isn't that a reflection of our culture as well? If you look at what the news is, what everybody's looking at, what everyone's reading, what excites us, what draws attention, it's not things that are noble, trustworthy, bla uh, blameless. It's things that are scandalous, hectic, wild. They're the things that draw us, and op often they're the things that are occupying our mind. God wants our minds to be occupied with things that are good and pleasing to Him. It doesn't mean that we're ignorant of the things in life that are not good, but it means that you and I make a concerted effort and we make a decision by His grace to align our thoughts with His Word so that we may experience the peace of God, the, the joy of God, and that we'd also get godly clarity in our mind. Um, here at Global Heart Church, most years we will have like a theme for the year or maybe a theme for the season. And this year, uh, Pastor Jared, our senior pastor, got up and he felt from God that this was a year for our church, for you and your family, a year of miracle territory. And what that speaks of is that God is wanting to take us into a place where what is happening can only be attributed to the miraculous power of God. That things are happening in and around your life that you go, wow, God is moving. I am in miracle territory. And it can also be a literal thing that God's taking us literally to places and spaces to see the goodness of God. And we've seen that as a church. This year we've bought land in Zambia where we're going to build a great church. Uh, we've started a church in Montreal where we're now leasing a building. So literally we are taking territory, but we're believing for you and your family that you would occupy spaces in your heart and in your walk with God where the miraculous is happening. Now, I remember at the start of the year hearing that, we're going into miracle territory, and I thought, that's awesome. And then I've got a taste of miracle territory and, and heading into places and spaces and, and me and my family. But I notice that when I get into miracle territory, my brain still comes with me. And so even though I'm in a miraculous place, my brain's not so miraculous. And what I find is that if we're not careful, God can take us to a miraculous place, but then our thinking or our lack thereof takes us out of it. Um, or because of our thinking, we remove ourselves from that place or we deem it not good or not God. And so I want to speak to that this morning and, and look at a story in the Old Testament in Numbers chapter 13 where this very much took place. And before we read it, just a bit of context. This story is about the Israelites, God's chosen people who at the time were enslaved in Egypt for hundreds of years and God in His grace sets about a rescue mission to take them out of slavery and take them to miracle territory, a promised land, a place that He's prepared, which the Bible says is flowing with milk and honey. I don't know what that means. It might mean that there's beehives everywhere and cows, but... Back in those days, if you had milk and honey, high value would sustain everything. And so this promised land was exciting. Now, there's, there's interesting parallels, everybody, for that story of God's people then and your story and my story is that we too now, because of Christ, are God's people. We've been grafted into the family, but we too are enslaved into sin. But God in His love, like with the Israelites, has set about a rescue mission to take us out of slavery and to the promised land. And so I, I see a lot of myself in this story and we're going to read it and, and you might see a bit of yourself as well. So what happens is, is the Israelites are taken out of slavery and they're heading to this promised land. And when they get there, Moses sends spies in 
to see what the land is like. So if we can cue the Mission Impossible music, we're going to read this together. I'm just kidding. Many a kid's pastor's done that. It's good. Okay. It's going to come up on the screen. Numbers 13 says this. The Lord said to Moses, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe. Send one of its leaders. So at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran and all of them were leaders of the Israelites. We'll just skip to verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile? Does it need wetter soil? Are there trees in it or not? So I imagine all the spies are taking notes here, trying to go, okay, what are we coming back with? What information are we coming back with? Moses says, do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. Verse 21, so they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Dianella. They went up through the Negev, came to Hebron. I thought I'd better chuck that in there. There's a lot of names coming up here. Let's, let's move to verse 33. When they reached the valley of Eshkol, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. They were going to do a charcuterie board. That place was called the Valley of Eshkol because of the cluster of grapes the Israelites cut off there. At the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Verse 26, they came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. If you just picture it, everybody, the spies are coming back with their report. Everybody's gathered and they're holding these giant fruits. And so here's the report in verse 27. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us and it does flow with milk and honey. Now just pause here for a second. This is is interesting because in the book of Exodus, God told the leaders of the Israelites, there is a land I have for you. It is flowing with milk and honey. Now, I can't imagine there was too many places back then flowing with milk and honey. This was a unique thing to this place to confirm that this was the place God had for them. If I was there, and obviously I wasn't, and they brought this report back and said, hey, this place is flowing with milk and honey, I would have said, stop there. That's all we need to know. If this place is flowing with milk and honey and the place God has for us is flowing with milk and honey, this is the place. However, they didn't stop there. It says this in verse 28. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. And we even saw descendants of Anak there. Verse 30. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Who likes Caleb? That's a good report. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we see there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there and we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. In chapter 14, it says, That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. 
Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. What a crazy picture of two people seeing the same thing, going to the same place, but bringing back two completely different reports, two different accounts of what was possible, what we could do, what the challenges were. Here's what's interesting is that the miracles of God are often wrapped up in a step of faith. They're wrapped up in us leading our thinking, focusing on the things above and submitting our views under the will of God. Now, the the spies that came back and gave the detailed report, they gave a, a detailed negative report. And their report nearly put all of the Israelites back in chains in Egypt. They said, we can't do it. Let's get a leader. Let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back into slavery, back into chains, back into the old season. Whereas Caleb's report had no detail at all, but it was sick. (laughs) Caleb's report was, surely we can do this. Now, the other spies, their expressed view sucked the life and faith out of what God had prepared for them. If we're not careful, everybody, our thinking can rob ourselves and others of the faith to step into what God has for us. It's not that you can't do it, it's that you're focusing on the wrong details, Later on in the scripture, it says this of Caleb. It says, because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. You know, the scripture tells us that the spies that bought, that bought the bad report back never got to set foot into the promised land. When the spies brought back the negative report, what I appreciate about Caleb is that he didn't say that they were lying. Caleb didn't stop them and say, you're lying, there aren't giants, they're not that big. It wasn't that hectic. He didn't stop them, but he didn't share the view that they couldn't do it because he knew that God was in it. Now, I imagine the response to him would be, he would say, God is in it. And then they'd say, yeah, but there's giants there. So, yes, but God's in it. How do we know God's in it? The marker of milk and honey was a promise that God had made. It was there, which meant that God had prepared it for them. You know, I admire so much Pastor Spencer and Leah's faith. I remember when God created the opportunity for us as a church to establish a church in Montreal. I found out about it quite late along the journey. And so by the time I found out about it, Pastor Spencer had already met with the eldership and they really felt like it was God. And Pastor Spencer was prepared to go and they had dates penciled in and everything. So when I found out about it, I was like, man, that's a lot of work. And I'm hearing more about what's happening there. I'm like, flip, that's going to be expensive. That's going to be freezing. That's going to be tons of work. But I remember speaking to Pastor Spencer. He was full of faith. He was excited. He saw it as an opportunity. And um, I admire his faith because even though there was a lot of snowmen in the, um, the land that they were going to go and take, God was there too. And it was like this situation where the spies come back and give every reason why they can't, but you only need one reason why you can, and that's because God is in it. 
It's so good. Sometimes you step into a miracle on someone else's faith and it impacts you forever to believe that you can do the same for others in the future. And I remember um, when I was a lot younger and I was playing drums in our youth band and my oldest brother, Sean, was leading the youth band. And I remember him getting the team together and he had this, this, this heart for worship and this big vision for reaching young people with radical praise and worship. And he wanted to do CDs back when CDs existed. I think back then we were only onto MP2 and all this kind of stuff. He had this big vision and he wanted to see hundreds of young people worshiping God to relevant music and singing lyrics. And I remember there was a lot of people that just thought he was nuts and thought that he couldn't do it. And I know that because I was one of them. And so we had conversations about like, you know, nah, we're just, let's just do what we always do, this kind of thing. Sean took a massive step of faith. And what I'm so grateful for is that he took us on the journey. And so I got to step into a miracle on someone else's faith. But my thinking was limited. My thinking was limited by my view of myself about how much I focused on the giants instead of focusing on the milk and honey. And I want to encourage you today, be somebody who in every situation in life looks for the milk and honey, the indicators that God is there, the indicators that God is with you rather than focusing on the giants. Who's informing your life's decisions at the moment? Is it the giants or is it God? Are you letting the restrictions and the reasons why you can't and the reasons that you shouldn't inform what you do? Or are you allowing God to give you faith to believe that despite the challenges, by His grace, you can step into it? I want to encourage you, don't deny the challenges. We don't want to be Fruit Loop Christians that are like, my house isn't on fire. <laughs> if it's on fire, grab the hose and pray, you know, that whole thing. But we don't deny the challenges, but here's what else we don't do, church. We don't deny the power of God. And we don't deny the presence of God. And, we, and, and what, what I find interesting is that the, uh, the spies that brought the negative report, it was factual. Scripture tells us after, that place was hectic and the giants were huge and they were violent and it was a tough place to inhabit. None of what they said weren't facts. But what this is a challenge to, church, is for you to decide which facts will you focus on. The facts that make it difficult or the fact that God is with you and for you, and if you're living by His Word, is in what you are doing. What gets your focus and what gets your attention? Um, last Friday, I spoke a message called, What Would You Like First? The Good News or the Bad News? And it was about the good news and the bad news of the gospel. That the message of Jesus Christ, although it is great news, it is beyond good news, it also contains some bad news. But it's important that we get both because what makes the good news so good is that there is bad news. Sometimes one without the other is unhelpful and unhealthy. It's not helpful for me to just tell you that there's a heaven if I don't also tell you that there's a hell. Another example of heaven and hell is that someone might say the good news is it's half price burgers. The bad news is it's on the vegan range. That's why you need both. But for some things, we can struggle to get past the bad news. And we can only focus on the bad news. And for many believers, if we're not careful, we can be a bad news believer 
who only focuses on the bad news in Scripture, the bad situations within the church, the bad situations in your life. And what it will slowly do is, is like the Israelites, it might have the risk of putting you back in chains if you're not careful. And it can invade our everyday thinking. I'll give you some practical examples. Um, There's a young guy who was believing for a job. We're praying for a job, praying for the right job at the right time. Anyway, a job lands in his lap. Praise God, we're celebrating, we're thanking God. Day two of the job, he's cursing the job. It's too hard work, he's got to pay tax. Now someone's asking him where he is. He wanted to quit. Here's what we can do. Do we focus on, you've got a job, or do we focus on all the negative things? Because what it will start to do is, is your thinking affects what you say, which affects your behaviour, and before you know it, you've taken yourself out of that territory. What about the new car? You get the brand new car, you've been believing for it. What a blessing, praise God. You chuck it on Insta, week later, you're like, man, Red Joe's through the roof. Have you seen the price of fuel? You know, you're ticked off about the car. You've got a choice there. What's gonna get your attention? The blessings of the car or all the things that make it difficult? I found that with having a baby. I've got an 18 month old son. He sat watching the baptisms this morning. I think it was ministering to him. A few times he said, pool. So he saw the pool, anyway. But having a baby, if you're not careful with your thinking having a baby, you very quickly want that season to, to, to move on. You're like, can you please be nine already? This is heck, you know, it's like that kind of thing. Because you're praying and believing for a baby. And then when we had our son, it was, it was such an emotional time. I was so thankful to God, thankful to my wife, just an incredible season. Two weeks in, I'm like, just go to sleep. Like <laughs> seven nappies a day, come on, mate. You're having a laugh, you know. And as a parent... This principle comes alive again where I've got to decide what gets my attention. Do I focus on the good things? That Scripture, whatever's good, whatever's trustworthy, whatever's praiseworthy, whatever's excellent, focus on that. Don't focus on the nappies, the price of fuel and your car, Rego. There'll always be those things, always. And as, as far as who is around you, what kind of report do you bring about the things happening in your life? What kind of report do you spread? And I find that in life, many times when it comes to, hey, what do you think about this? My response usually is, it depends who you ask. Because some people will bring a Caleb report on things and some people will bring a Nashby report. Nashby was one of the spies. No one knows his name. But your thinking develops a report and your report will impact the world around you. What kind of impact are the reports you're bringing? What kind of impact is it having on the world around you, on the people around you? I want to encourage you to be someone who's like Caleb, who trusts God wholeheartedly, who looks for the reasons why, as far as looking for the signs that God is there and hanging on to that. Seeing every challenge as an opportunity for God to move, turning desperation into an invitation and, and believing that God can cause pain to produce. If you, critical people will always find things to be critical about. There will always be negative things. And you've probably seen this practically. Practically, You go see a movie. It might be the worst movie ever. You come out and someone's like, man, how fun was that? What a great chock bomb. What a great bit of corn. And someone else, their whole night's ruined because of the cinematography. And it's like, mate, just take a chill pill. Relax. And that's a silly example, but we can do that with church. We can do that with our kids. We can do that with our family. 
And we've got to choose to, as the Scripture said, go, God, I want to think on whatever is good, whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is excellent, whatever is honourable. And so I pray that today for each of us here, that God would open up the eyes of our heart to see Him, to see His message, to see His Son, to see our lives for what they truly are, a gift from Him and an opportunity for Him to be glorified on the earth. To know that God is good, that the Gospel is good news and that if your tomorrow has God squarely in the centre of it, that you can look forward to it knowing that even if there's giants in it, certainly you can do it. And I hate to break it to you, but your tomorrow does have giants in it. But if you've put Christ first, God is also in it. Just as I get ready to close, I just want to remind us that the message of the cross is for eternity and it's for transformation today. And God wants to bring breakthrough to your thinking where each and every day isn't a slog, isn't a grind, but each day is an opportunity to see the goodness of God, to be a part of outworking the goodness of God and to see God move in your heart each and every day. Don't be fearful of tomorrow. Just put God in it and God will be ahead of you, preparing a way, making a way for you to inhabit miracle territory that otherwise your thinking might have taken you out of. And I want to encourage you, don't be someone that that encourages other people to go back into their chains with your bad report. Be someone that has great faith, looks for God, looks for the good, believes the good, speaks the good in Jesus' name. Why don't we stand together, everybody? Thank you so much for joining us online today. Really great to have you with us. And special thanks to those also who give online. Your generosity is making the way for others to hear the message of Jesus, both here in Australia and around the world. If you enjoyed today's message, I'd love to encourage you to share this message with a friend, a workmate, a family member. And let's believe together that it will powerfully impact their life for good in Jesus' name. If you're unable to be with us at one of our church locations, uh, both here in Australia and around the world, please join us online every Sunday for Global Heart at Home on YouTube. God bless and have a great week.